Southwest. There's some good ones. <laughs> You're not even welcome on our flights. It's like, <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? You guys good? Good? Okay, good. As long as it's awake. Anybody love daylight savings? Anyone just is like, I love springing forward. It's cool. We went to bed early last night, earlier, but earlier it becomes later, and it's just it all works. I'm excited to worship this morning. Um, if you're able, and why don't you stand with us as we sing? Worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. Oh, see what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken the light. Oh, Jesus, I say, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. Yeah. 
Jason Squires. Um, I've been here a few times, you could say. Uh, just excited to sing together. I'm excited to uh, be together. And as we just continue uh, to sing worship to our God this morning, um, just want you guys to live in that moment as you re- reflect on and sing the power of a God who has done great things. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard to uh, it's, it's easy to gloss over the great things and focus on the struggles. Um, but remembering that we serve a God who's powerful. We serve a God who's great. We serve a God that, uh, that is here no matter what we go through in life. And so let's keep on singing this morning. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you.
stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. That is. That is who you are. That is who.
highest, your name is the greatest, your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. Sing your name. Your name is the highest, your name. Is the greatest your name stands above them all all thrones and dominions all powers and positions your name stands above them all angels cry holy all creation cries Holy, you are lifted high. Holy, holy forever. To hear people sing. Holy, to the King of Kings. song, but just go and meet someone new. Say good morning.
Breaking up conversation is the worst part. So you find your way back to your seats. We keep on singing this morning.
Father, this morning we are, we declare that, God, that no matter what comes in front of us, no matter what uh, trials or what frustrations or exhaustion, God, we know that we are a child of God. We know that you have us. God, we know that without you, God, we are nothing. And so we, uh, we worship you this morning. Uh, we sing to you. We learn about you, God. We just thank you that we can come and probably sing your name. All right. Amen. Everybody, you can have a seat. Jason, thank you for being with us today. Absolutely. I always love having you. It's good to have you here. It's always good to have your wife and your girls, too. Uh, hey, uh, good to see you guys. Really glad you're here today. Would you do me a favor? Would you please turn to the person next to you and tell them, I'm really glad you're here today? Can you do that? Okay. 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 Yeah, that was good. That was that was awesome. That was awesome. This is what uh, one of my professors told me. You know, you guys are really good at, well, okay, when I was in seminary, one of my professors used to say that the key to success in ministry, success, whatever that is, the key to success in ministry is to, uh, is, is sincerity. You know, like a sincere greeting, I'm glad you're here today. And he said, once I figured out how to fake sincerity, I had it made. So... So, but you guys, you don't fake it. You are sincere. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Uh, you know, we are, uh, we're, we're approaching Easter. I think it's five weeks from today. Is that right? Five weeks or four weeks? I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, it, it's coming. And one of the things I have been asking y'all to do is I've been asking you to pray about who you're going to invite. Uh, to pray about who you're going to invite. And so, uh, uh, we are, we put together some really nice invite cards for you to use for inviting your friends. And, and there it is up on the screen, okay? Uh, unfortunately, you can't take it off the screen home with you to give to a friend. I apologize. Uh, the, the printer, uh, that we, they, they had a little printing problem. Their machine broke down. And the gal called me up last night and she said, I'm sorry, we can't get it done. And so uh, we'll have it for you th- later this week, and we'll have it for you on. I, actually, I guess I could send it to you, and you could, you could, I don't know, you could, you could print it off your printer if you want to. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to have those invite cards for you. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted you to do is just be praying about who you're going to invite. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that for me as a pastor, when I had younger kids, we were always thrown in the middle of people who didn't know Jesus and were not plugged into churches. It was just kind of, it was just a part of, of life with, as, as a young couple with young kids. Then all my kids grew up and left the home and all of a sudden I didn't have those kinds of connections anymore. So what I have done uh, over the last few years, I have been trying to do things more intentionally to try to put me into different places where I could make connections with people who don't know Jesus, people who are not plugged into a church, where I could build those kinds of relationships, where I could invite them to things like our Easter service. So one of the things that I did was I, I signed up for Crunch. I signed up for Crunch earlier this year. Uh, and Crunch is good for me for a couple of reasons. It's good for me to get out, exercise, and stuff like that. But it gives me the opportunity to meet people. And so uh, a while back I was kind of feeling like, you know, it, I feel like when you show up there at Crunch, everybody's got their earphones in. They're so focused on their workout that when I'm standing in front of them, waving at them, trying to invite them, it just doesn't work that well. And uh, so, so, uh, but I've, I've, you know, what I've tried to do is, is uh, I've been, you know, just kind of paying attention to who's around me, paying attention to opportunities to connect. And so this last Wednesday I was praying. I said, God, I pray that today 
uh, you would, your spirit, you would guide me, you would lead me to an opportunity to make a connection with a person, not in an awkward way, not me trying to force thing to, something to happen to say that God did it, but me really waiting on the Lord, just walking in step with the Spirit, and towards the end of my workout, literally my last station, a guy looks at me, looks at my T-shirt that says that I'm from Arkansas, and says, and he turns to me and he says, I am so sorry. <laughs> uh, no, he didn't say that. But uh, he's a really nice guy. He's actually from Memphis. Uh, it just kind of opened the door for a conversation. It was just the most natural thing. He asked me, what brought us here to Fairfield? And I'm like, well, uh, I pastor a church. And I'm like, it's, that kind of thing probably doesn't happen to you. You don't get to, someone doesn't say, what brought you to Fairfield? You say, well, my name is Joe. The Lord brought me here to start a church, and I'm a math professor, okay? No, I'm just kidding. So, sorry, Joe. But, I mean, it you know probably doesn't work for you like it works for me. But still, there are people that God is bringing you into contact with. And all I'm wanting us to do is really to be praying about who it is that God wants to invite. And you don't have to invite everybody, but I'm going to encourage you to invite at least one person. So we'll have those invite cards for you next week, okay? Uh, we are... When John, John, was very, very old, he began to invest in a young man who was very, very young. Now, the old man John, you might know him as John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, uh, who was one of the original disciples of Jesus. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He wrote the book of Revelation. But he invested in a young man whose name was Polycarp. Now, there's a fun name, Polycarp. Can you say Polycarp? Polycarp, okay. Uh, he was investing in this young man named Polycarp. Uh, and Polycarp lived at a very pivotal moment in the history of the church. And I say it's pivotal for this reason. The previous generation had many eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. The next generation did not have any actual eyewitnesses. But they were discipled by people who were actual eyewitnesses. And there are several things that make Polycarp significant, uh, that for, and he is significant for many reasons that we're not going to talk about today. But I just want you to know this. I want you to understand a couple things about him. He was a very simple man. He was a simple man. He didn't have a lot of education, no formal education. He was a, a very simple man. He was unpretentious, humble but he was also direct. Uh, he was, um, the reason I want to talk to you about him is, is for only one reason. is because of his death. His death is significant, I think, uh, for part of what we're going to talk about today. You see, um, the Roman officials were seeking Polycarp. And they were out and they were seeking him. And the friends of Polycarp were urging him, pleading with him, please, please flee. Get out of here. Get away. Because if you're arrested, they're going to kill you. And Polycarp said, hey, you know, let God's will be done. He wasn't, at the time, I think he was 86 years old. He wasn't really, first of all, how do you flee when you're 86? I don't know. You know, I, I guess some people, you know, you, you flee with your, I don't know. Anyway, but, you know, how do you really flee? And instead what he did is he waited at home for the Roman soldiers to show up. And he answered the door, and he went with them. 
Polycarp was brought before the guy who is the, the regent's proconsul. His name was Stratius Quadratus. And, uh, and, and he really did not like Polycarp a lot. I mean, he disliked him a lot. Uh, you, you might even say that, 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 that Stratus Quadratus had a, uh, an anger, anger management problem. We're going to read about a guy with an anger management problem this morning. And, um, and he, as he was questioning Polycarp, Polycarp was just kind of having fun with him. You know, he just was having fun with him. He was like totally unafraid. Could you imagine being totally unafraid, facing death? He was unafraid. And, and, and so uh, he was, in fact, condemned to be burned at the stake. And according to tradition, when the Roman soldiers were going to nail him to the, the stake where he was going to be burned, he said, guys, you really don't need to do that. He said, I will stay right here. And he stayed on the pyre as they lit it. And... He burned bright for Jesus. Um, Throughout generations, over the last 2,000 years, many Christians have endured the fires of persecution. For you and me, we really, as Christians living in America, we really don't know what real persecution looks like. I mean, we might, someone might dislike us. We might get passed over for a promotion in our job. Because people know that we're a Christian. There may be some things that happen like that. But most of you probably will not lose property. Most of you probably will not lose your freedom. Most of you probably will not lose your life as a witness for Christ. Now, one day that could be a possibility. But right now, it really isn't. Um, Over the last three weeks, we've been doing this series on the book of Daniel. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Uh, they, these were four young Jewish uh, young men, probably teenagers, probably 15, 16, 17 years old, when they were carried away in 605 B.C. by the Babylonians into exile. They were carried away, uh, and, uh, and, and they were living in a land that had a, a foreign language, a foreign way of thinking, and foreign gods. Uh, what the Bible tells us that... that just as Daniel and his friends were exiled in Babylon, we are living in a kind of exile in our world today. In fact, Peter talks about this a couple different times. I think both in First Peter and Second Peter, if I remember correctly. But he writes to these early Christians, and he writes to them as people who are living in exile. This is not our home. This is not our home. Paul even writes about this to the Philippians. And he says to the Philippians, he says, he says, your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's where we really belong. We belong with God. And right now, we're living in exile. And, and I think that from Daniel and from his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think we can learn some really important uh, lessons about how to thrive in Babylon, how to thrive in exile, how, how to thrive in a culture where many of our beliefs seem strange, and sometimes our beliefs may even seem offensive. But I believe that God wants us to thrive where we are. 
He wants us to thrive. In fact, I think that according to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 29, he wants us to pray for the peace of the city. You remember that when Jeremiah was writing in Jeremiah 29, he was writing to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and all the people who joined them from Jerusalem in exile into Babylon. And there were some false prophets among them who were telling them, hey, your time here is going to be really short. And Jeremiah said, no, you're going to be there for 70 years. You're going to be there for 70 years, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to build homes. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to get married. I want you to, 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 to get wise for your sons, and I want you to give your daughters in marriage. And I want you to pray for the peace of the city, the shalom of the city, because in its shalom is your shalom. And he was instructing these Babylonian exiles how to thrive in exile. And that's what we want to learn how to do, is we want to learn how to thrive in exile, and we want to pray for the peace of our city, and we want to bring shalom to our city, because in its shalom, in its Peace in its welfare is our peace, our welfare. I want you to open your Bibles, if you have it with you, to, to Daniel chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to be reading from you from the NIV Bible, the NIV translation. And, um, and we're going to have it up on the screens for you as well. Uh, but I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open it up. Or if you've got a phone, pull it up on your phone uh, and follow along with me. So in Daniel chapter 3... Uh, the Bible says this. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide. Basically 90 feet high, uh, 90 feet, or 9 feet wide. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps and all those other government officials that I just said, uh, they all gathered, uh, they all, where am I at? Uh, they assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. And the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are, you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, all these other musical instruments, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So, time out real quick. Let's talk about what's happening here real quick. Okay? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, most... Bible teachers, most Bible scholars, at least the ones that I've read, believe that this happened very, very early in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. You see, remember that, that Nebuchadnezzar had given Jehoiakim and had given Judah uh, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. They had also defeated the Assyrians. They had also defeated the Egyptians. They had become a large empire. And so in this gathering... You have people from every nation and people group throughout the empire. And you have all these different government officials. And what, what uh, Nebuchadnezzar has done is he's set up this huge image, and he's telling them that when they hear the music, that they are to bow down and they're to worship the image. 
that what, what Nebuchadnezzar is doing early in his empire, early in his reign, is he is, is consolidating uh, his, his empire. He's consolidating his empire by making himself the political leader, having all these political officials present. And also he is setting himself up to be the religious leader, setting up an image where people are to bow down and worship. He's bringing together church and state with himself as the head. Do you see that? That's what's happening in this text. That's what's happening in this text. That what this is, is it's a loyalty oath that these people are taking to give their loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar. A lot of people believe that the goat image may have actually been an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. We really don't know. Could have been several other things. But, but some people believe that may have actually been uh, an image of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, where am I at? Verse 7? Yeah, verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn flute, all those musical instruments, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and they worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8. At this time, some astrologers. You know who the astrologers were? If you were with us, week one, week two, you'll kind of remember this. But basically, they were these advisors to the king uh, who, anyway, uh, they were advisors to the king. There were some uh, astrologers who came forward and denounced the Jews. They denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn fl- Horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and does not worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. They're reminding Nebuchadnezzar what Nebuchadnezzar said. Then they say this, first of all, but there are some Jews. By the way, the construction of the sentence tells us two things. It tells us that they had an anti-Jewish sentiment. They didn't like Jews. They didn't like Jews. The second thing is, as you read through the sentence, where am I at? Which verse? Twelve, sorry. My wife's not here to tell me. Uh, But there are some Jews uh, whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They're also being uh, driven by um, political jealousy. Because these Jews have been set over the province of Babylon. These are a newly conquered people who, instead of being slaves and servants, have been promoted to being rulers. We read about this in chapters 1 and 2. Okay? And these... These three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage. Uh, I think I said this last week or the week before. I can't remember. That Nebuchadnezzar had a rage problem. I think I told you he was a rageaholic. Really needed an anger management class. Uh, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and, and so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up. Is it true? Now then, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And I would underline those words, what God. This is pivotal to understanding the whole point of chapter 3. What God? What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. There is a calm in these words. There's a calm. They don't need to defend themselves. They don't. Why? Because they have a defender. They have a defender. That's why there is calm in these words. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Remember the question of Nebuchadnezzar? What God can deliver you from my hand? And they say, the God we serve will deliver us. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if, verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. We're not going to worship. We're not going to bow down. The Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He is enraged. With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. That is idiom. That is a figure of speech that means heat the oven till it's as hot as it can get. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing the robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The commands, uh, the, the king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men? Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men. Four men, three men thrown in, but four men are walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Again, this is a figure of speech. It is an idiom that means he looks like a divine being. He looks like a god himself. 
Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar had asked at the beginning? What God can deliver you into my hand? And now a pagan king is calling the God of the Jews the Most High God. Folks, understand this. I, and I've talked about this before, but I'm saying it again because you've got to understand this and you've got to get this. In the ancient world, if you are a king and I'm a king, and your nation defeats my nation, that means your gods are greater than my gods. But from the very beginning of Daniel, we read that it was the God of Israel who delivered Jehoiakim and Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar because of their covenant and faithfulness to God. And no point has God ever not been in charge. At no point has God ever been less than the Most High. This is woven throughout the book of Daniel. Thirteen different times in the book of Daniel, he's called the Most High. The Most High. And here we see a pagan king saying to, to, to these three, he's saying, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire or smoke on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said this. He said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, this is important. We'll talk about this more in a moment. But he's not yet calling this God his God. He's not calling this God his God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's calling this God the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he's also calling him the most high God. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no God can save in this way. This is the confession of a pagan king. This is the confession. This is the confession that the Jews should be making, but were not making. This is the confession of a pagan king. No God can save in this way. Folks, no God can save in the way, save in the way of your God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let me pray for us, and we're going to launch in and look at, we're going to look at a few things here, all right? God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You are the God who saves your people. Lord, you are not a defeated God because your people are defeated. You are a victorious God. You are the most high God. You are the God who delivers. And we worship you and we praise you. Lord, my prayer is that you would open 
our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to understand your word, that we would humbly receive the word implanted that is able to save our souls. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. few thoughts here. few thoughts. Um, I think you have some notes with you. Hopefully you have some notes with you. Uh, I want to share with you four points, and then under these points, I want to kind of ramble a little bit if I can. First thing I want you to understand is this. And this is something you need to understand. To thrive in Babylon, to thrive in a world culture that is sometimes unfriendly to some of the things that we believe and the Lord that we follow, to thrive in Babylon, you must refuse to bow down to any and every kind of idol. You must refuse to bow down. You must refuse to bow down to the idol of public opinion. You must refuse that idol. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a secret, okay? That's not so secret. I'm from Arkansas. You know what that means? That means we're very religious. That means we're very religious. That also means we really like the Razorbacks. Which means that we're very religious about the way we root for the Razorbacks. The other day I saw on Facebook, I say the other day, actually it was late last night or early this morning, I can't remember. But I looked on Facebook and one of my cousins had written, God, help the Razorbacks win this game. And I promise I will not ask you to help them again until the next game. To thrive in Babylon, you must refuse to bow down to any and every kind of idol. The idol of public opinion. The idol of idolizing a team in a way that's unholy and unhealthy. Um, You know, it's easy to recognize the idols of pagan and primitive cultures, isn't it? Isn't it easy to recognize their idols? You know, I'm sure you've seen pictures of other countries where they'll have a shrine. And they may have these images that are made of maybe stone or they're maybe made of wood or they may be made of metal. Uh, but sometimes it's easier to recognize their idols than to recognize our idols. By the way, when I'm talking about our idols, I'm talking about Christian idols. I'm talking about the, the idols that a lot of evangelical Christians have. That it is easy for us to turn Good things into ultimate things. Um, I have a little thing in your notes here about this, concerning modern idols and what we truly worship. Anything that we esteem more highly than God. Anything that we esteem more highly than God uh, is an idol. Even good things can become idols. Tim Keller tweeted this the, uh, a while back. Actually, he's tweeted this, I don't know how many times, a few times, all right? But I saw it uh, again for a while back. The Tim Keller, you tweeted this. Idols are not usually bad things. Did you know that you can make your family into an idol? Did you know that you can make getting married, if you're single, into an idol? Did you know that you can make career advancement into an idol? Did you know that you can make achievement into an idol? You can make all kinds of things into idols. Idols are not usually bad things, but good things turned into ultimate things. Whenever we take a good thing and make it our one and only thing, our ultimate thing, we are bowing down to an idol as much as a pagan in a pagan culture. Things that constitute our most fundamental significance and security and so function as gods in our lives. 
Uh, basically, what Keller's saying is that any time we make a good thing, such as family, career, career success, financial security, achievement, some kind of addiction, any time we take anything and make it our ultimate thing, then that good thing or bad thing becomes an idol. It usurps the place of God in our lives. Uh, Billy Graham, anybody know who Billy Graham is, was? Okay. Uh, did you know this? I mean, he, the guy sat down with 13 different presidents. Did you know that? He played with 13 different presidents. He, he, many of these presidents, he was one of their closest confidants. That's part of the reason why Billy Graham has been called uh, the, the pastor to presidents and also been called America's pastor. But Billy Graham, many years ago, he wrote this. He said, some people today worship their money or social position or possessions just as devoutly as people in the ancient world worshipped an image made of gold or wood or stone. With regards to how we think about idols, John Piper, he asked three questions. These three questions, listen very carefully. Listen to these questions. These are important questions. First question is this. First question is this. What is the deepest root of your joy? Okay? What's the deepest root of your joy? Meaning that if this thing were taken away from you, your joy would be lost. I want you to think about that. What is, uh, what, what is the deepest root of your joy? What, uh, what God gives you or what God is to you? Do you understand the difference? That sometimes we can take something that is a very good thing that is given to us by God. And if we take, if our deepest joy is in what God gives us, my health, my family, my well-being, my home, my security. If what is at the root of my greatest joy is what God gives me instead of what God means to me, then whatever it is that God has given me has become my idol. It's very important to think about this. Because there are some people who need to uproot the idols in your lives and destroy them. Not destroy your family, okay? But destroy the idolizing of a family or of a career or of achievement or anything else, okay? Uh, If they're... um, Okay, let me leave that alone. To thrive in Babylon, we must refuse to bow down to any and every kind of idol. Number two... To thrive in Babylon, to thrive in our place of exile, to thrive in a place that is where our beliefs uh, are sometimes considered suspect or perhaps uh, not respected. To thrive in Babylon, you must be courageous in worshiping God. Can you say courageous? You must be courageous. You must be courageous. And worshiping God. You must be courageous in worshiping God, even if you face persecution or the threat of death. Look at me, please. I'm telling you, if someone threatens to kill you because of your faith in Jesus, what I'm telling you is if someone threatens to take away your well-being, your home, your possessions, your freedom. 
do you have to be courageous? You have to be like Polycarp. You have to be willing to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have to be courageous in our worship of God. Even if we face persecution or threat of death. Number three, to thrive in Babylon. You must recognize that God does not always spare his people from going through the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went through the fire. They did. Polycarp went through the fire. Did you know that? John Huss went through the fire. He died. Polycarp went through the fire. He died. Many other followers of Jesus have gone through the fire and have died. To thrive in Babylon, you must recognize that God does not always spare his people from going through the fire. But he will deliver you in the fire. Now, some of you, you might say, well, he didn't deliver Polycarp. He didn't deliver John Huss. He didn't deliver all these other people. I mean, that's a fair question to ask. How can you say that God will deliver us? Yes, he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we all know of people, if you read through church history, who they faced the fire. They were not spared from the fire, and they died in the fire. I'll get there in a moment. Oh, wow. You know, remember Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus? You remember him? He wrote a couple of books, First Peter, Second Peter. He didn't name them after himself. Someone else did, okay? He's not that arrogant. But, but he wrote these books, and um, in, 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 in this book, in First Peter, he said this. He wrote these words. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Circle those words, fiery ordeal, in your Bible. Hang on to those words. Think about those words. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. He's writing to a church. And what would be today, modern-day Turkey? And they were facing the fires of testing. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. They were facing persecution. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It is not strange to be tested when you're living your faith in Babylon. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in your testing. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. God doesn't always spare His people from going through the fire, but God will meet us in the fire. Can I talk about this? Can I geek out with you? Can I nerd out with you for a moment? Who was the fourth person in the fire? Nebuchadnezzar recognizes him as one like a son of the gods. 
a divine being. Throughout the Old Testament, it's really interesting. If you go through and read through the Old Testament, and you read all the different places where it talks about the angel of the Lord. You remember the angel of the Lord? Maybe not. Maybe not. The angel of the Lord. You remember Moses? Anybody remember Moses? Well, you should remember the angel of the Lord, too. Who appeared to Moses in the burning bush? Who? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. But later, you know what the Bible says a little later? You know who met Moses in the burning bush? The Lord. Well, I say, well, which one is it? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it the Lord? Sometimes when you read through the Bible, you'll read in like Psalm chapter 2, and we read about this one called uh, this, the Son. And we read about how the Lord God is going to give him the throne of David, and we read about how he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And it says there that the Lord said to my Lord. Well, which one is it? Is it the Lord speaking to someone else, or is it the Lord speaking to my Lord? See, there is a Lord, and there is a Lord. Now, the, the Trinity, there's not a lot of, of discussion about the Trinity in the Old Testament, but the more you read through the Bible, beginning to end, again and again and again, you see it. It is there. The angel of the Lord is the Lord. But the Lord is distinct from the Lord. A lot of people believe that the divine being, the one like the sons of the gods, is the pre-incarnate Christ. What do I mean by pre-incarnate Christ? You know what incarnation means? You know what chili con carne is? It's chili with meat, okay? Well, it's like God with meat, you know? The incarnation of God in Jesus. It's like God taking on our humanity. Well, the pre-incarnate Christ, Christ before his incarnation, was present with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. This is, just so you know, I'm not the only person who's coming up. There's a note on this in the ESV Study Bible. It's pretty solid, made by pretty good scholars. You know, Dwight Pentecost, one of my apostles when I was at Dallas Seminary, he's written a number of books. Um, but, but Dr. Pentecost, a lot of other uh, scholars believe that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. I, I do too. Where am I at? I have no clue. I'm on, I'm on number... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, God doesn't always spare his people through the fire, but God will meet his people in the fire. Sometimes God delivers uh, his people from death in the fire. And Get this. This is so important. Sometimes God delivers his people from death in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But sometimes God delivers his people to glory in the fire. Sometimes God delivers his people to glory. And glory is better than any si- anything on this side of heaven. That's what God did for, for Polycarp. He delivered Polycarp in the fire to glory. That's what he did for John Huss. That's what he has done for every person who's ever died in the name of Jesus. He's delivered them to a better life than this life. All right, so I'm going to get kind of weird on you here for a moment. 
because because I'm weird, and uh, because I do believe this is important. Um, uh, you know, actually, actually, let me let me hold off, but I'm going to come back to it real fast. All right, uh, I'm going to because I don't know where this belongs, but it's got to be said. Okay. Fourth thing I want you to understand is this. To thrive in Babylon, you must recognize that the Lord is the Most High God. I mean, you know, look, we've got a, a pagan king here. A pagan king who, who says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. See, even the pagan king recognizes that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God of Judah, is different from every other God. Later, he says, he says, if anybody says anything bad about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, <coughs> we're going to hack them to pieces. We're going to turn their houses into, to, to, you know, to, to rubble. And he says, and this is why, for no other God can save in this way. See, our God is the most high God who can save. This is the confession of a pagan king who doesn't yet know God. Um, Let me back up. Remember how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, uh, what, 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 Nebuchadnezzar does, you know, the king does with them. He just says, hey, look, is it true you guys didn't bow down and worship when you heard the music? And, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go say, uh, you know, we don't need to defend ourselves on this. Our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. And even if he does not deliver us, we will not bow down. When you face death, this is what I want you to remember. When you face death. Now, folks, I'm speaking to every person in this room because one day every person in this room will die. The way you face death can have a powerful impact in the lives of people around you. Did you know that? When we face death, when you face death, if you are a follower of Jesus, you face death with a confidence that our God will deliver us. You face death knowing that our God will deliver us. He will deliver us into glory. When we face death, when, Ab- or when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I almost said Abraham, I'm way out of there, okay? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing death, they didn't have a big chip on their shoulder. They just, with confidence, said, we don't need to defend ourselves. Our God can deliver us, and he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. We will not worship. Because of the way they face death, and because of the way they face persecution, a pagan king called the God of the Jews the most high God and that no other God can save the way this God can save. Did you know that for centuries now, roughly 20 centuries, there have been a lot of Christians who have died 
for the name of Jesus. Did you know that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, we've talked about, I've mentioned John Huss, and I've mentioned Polycarp, and Jim Elliott's a good example, modern-day example in the 1950s. You know, it's interesting with, with Jim Elliott. This is, this is fascinating. You know, when he was, they were going to be missionaries to a group of headhunters, the, the Alcas, in South America. And when they were attacked, the Jim Elliott and the men who were with him, they had weapons to protect themselves from wild animals. The, the people who were attacking them, they were basically Stone Age warriors with spears. They could have easily picked up the rifles and obliterated their attackers. They could have easily just laid waste to all of them. Instead, they gave up their lives. Because they didn't go there to kill them. They went there to bring the gospel to them. Their persecutors killed them. The very ones who were bringing them the gospel. And later, Elizabeth Elliot, and then I can't remember the other gal's name, went, who was the wife of Jim Elliot and the sister of one of the other guys. I can't remember his name or her name. But they went in and they took the gospel to these people. And because of the way these men laid down their life for the ones who persecuted them and killed them, they became followers of Jesus. See, that's what happens. When you read through the book of Acts and you see persecution and you see suffering, you know what happens? The gospel spreads like a wildfire. I'm looking forward. We're going to kick off a new series after Easter. I'm looking forward to Easter. I really am. Uh, we're going to do, I'm going to do a message. Hope it's here. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But I'm really looking forward to kicking off this new series. We're going to talk about power, the difference the Spirit makes. But one of the things that you see as you work through the book of Acts is this, is you see the gospel spreads. It's like, like wildfire when God's people courageously face persecution and adversity and difficulty. Okay, let me get back to my point. To thrive in Babylon, you must recognize that the Lord God is the most high God. That, that 13 different times that God is called the most high in the book of Daniel. The only other book that, that calls him the most high more often than the book of Daniel is Psalms. And there are only 12 chapters in Daniel and 150 chapters in Psalms. But one of the major focuses of the book of Daniel is that our God is the most high God. Our God is the most high God. Uh, the Lord God of Israel is the one who delivered Judah and Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord God is the revealer of mysteries, the giver of wisdom, discernment, and knowledge. The Lord God is the one who shapes human history. Nothing happens. Nothing has ever happened apart from God saying, allowing that to happen. No king has ever risen to power. No king has never been humbled. No president has ever risen to power or been humbled. No kingdom, no nation has ever been risen or been humbled. That God did not do it. If you're, quote unquote, a Christian evangelical and you get all upset about who gets elected, stop it. Stop it. God is in control. If you're upset, stop it. God is in control. 
God's not wringing his hands and saying, oh my goodness, how did that happen? Our God is the most high God. Um, our God, the Lord God, is the God of gods. He is the Lord of kings. The Lord God is the God most high. He is the most high. He is outrageously, he is awesomely in charge. Did you know God never asked anybody for permission to do anything? Did you know that? I used to think I could do that in my home. Then my, my dad would remind me, no, I can't. I used to think I could do that in my classrooms at school. My teachers would remind me too. That was back when they still allowed paddling in the schools. I finally got, you know, I finally figured it out my senior year of high school. Uh, the, you know, our God, the Lord God, is the most high. You know, I love this. I love this. We're going to talk about this next week. I'm looking forward to next week. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on and back up here because I don't know how to end this. But next week, we're going to hear Nebuchadnezzar. It's like in every chapter, we say Nebuchadnezzar beginning to understand God more and more and more and more. Guess what we're going to look at next week? This is what Nebuchadnezzar is going to say. He's going to say of God, his dominion is an eternal dominion. That means it's never going away. His king endures from generation to generation. That means it's never going away. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. Actually, I think God loves all the people of the earth as something special. Remember, it's still a pagan king being converted. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He, God, does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God does not answer to anyone. God does not ask for permission from anyone. Our God is awesomely, outrageously, crazy in charge. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. You are good. You are faithful. You are a revealer of mysteries. You are, uh, you are the one who gives discernment and knowledge and wisdom. Lord, you are the one who raises up kings, and then you are the one who humbles them. You are the one who raises up kingdoms and humbles them. You are the one who raises up presidents and humbles them. You are the one who raises up nations and humbles them. You are the most high, and there is no other. And no one can say like you. Lord Jesus, we praise you, we worship you. Because you are the one who meets us in the fire. And today we just want to worship you. I want to speak to you for a moment. I want to say this. If you have not yet said yes to Jesus, if you have an idol in your heart, something that you're clinging to as a root of joy other than Jesus, I want to invite you to repent. I want to invite you to believe in Jesus and be saved. God, I pray that today, that for anyone who is, is really stuck, I pray for that person. Help them to see the grace and mercy of Jesus. Help them to see that, yeah, He is the Most High, but He is also the one who, who is tender and meek, compassionate 
gracious and merciful. Lord, today we want to surrender our idols to you. And we want to worship you only. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. No one can save like our God. And for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we can testify to that. And there is no greater privilege, there is no greater mission that we have than to introduce people to the God that saves to the God that redeems, to the God that restores, to the God that can make beauty from ashes. What a privilege that is for us, Solana Valley Church, to do. Thank you, Gary, for uh, that message and uh, for all of your work and preparation. Um, I want to just make you aware of a couple of different announcements, uh, important things that are coming up. Uh, Next weekend is our annual business meeting where we will take time to vote on our budget and on our elders. And I, my understanding, Gary, do we have? uh, Okay. All right. One vision packet per household. Thank you for that. So, uh, yes, please uh, check that out. And, uh, and also, uh, part of our meeting next week, we, there will uh, be a pasta lunch from Mary's being served. So uh, we'll have lunch together. And if you would like to bring a salad or bread or dessert, something to go along with that, we'd love to have you contribute in that way. And we will just have a grand old time together. Uh, I also want to remind you, and, you know, there's really not much I can add to what Gary said earlier, Uh, about uh, Easter weekend, other than the fact that uh, our Good Friday uh, service will be at 6 p.m. Easter Sunday, of course, will be at 10 uh, a.m. And I want to once again say, as he did, to, uh, if you haven't already, to begin thinking about who you would love to invite to come to that uh, so that, uh, you know, they, like you, can hear about the God who saves uh, what a what a fantastic uh, way to uh, introduce people to the Lord in that way. A fantastic opportunity. And finally, we want to worship God with our giving. And I want to thank each and every one of you who faithfully gives. Uh, thank you for giving to um, the mission and the work of Solana Valley Church. Because what it does is it enables us to continue to introduce people to the God who saves. I keep saying that over and over again, but, you know, it's okay uh, because it's, it's so true and it's our mission. So thank you so much for doing that and, and for your, your kindness and, and your generosity. Uh, you can uh, uh, tap the Give button on the SBC app. If you don't have the SBC app, it's in Google Play. It's in the App Store. You can also go to our website, salonavalley.org forward slash giving, and give there as well. So uh, I want to turn it back over to Elsa and Jason for our closing song, and I invite all of you to stand. Thank you.